You know, when we started last week, we started with um, this emphasis in fasting and prayer. And any time that you get a body of people together and you ask them to be prayerful on purpose, you can be certain of one thing. Opposition will come. Now, as I don't know how each of you fared this past week, but I'll tell you, this is probably one of the longest weeks I've had in memory. Anyone there? It's one of the longest weeks you've had in the recent memory bit just because of the things that were going on. And so when we talked about uh, fasting and prayer, some of us were like, well, that's something that's already part of my uh, daily or weekly, monthly, yearly routine. And it's just an additional focus and thought towards doing so. But for some of us, it's been a brand new idea. Checking in on a devotional every day and, and reading and praying in, in particular for God to show us, to teach us, to move us, to help us to understand what his will is and what our, our place is and, and understanding all of those things. And so when we get in the midst of those, those opportunities, opposition can come. But I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage you in that to be open to knowing that God is still moving even when you don't feel like he's moving. So how's it going? I hope it's going well. And it's not too late to join. We still have prayer guides. We have some prayer guides available in the back there. And we are looking for an opportunity for you to just join in and be part of this movement because I believe God wants to teach us, to teach us as a church something pretty amazing. And so when we started, we, we asked this question, God, would you search me? And then last week, added a statement to it, and we said, God, would you make me bold? So God, would you search me? Would you look at me on the, in my inner parts? God, would you expose to me those things that I need to lay open and lay bare to you? Because God, these are obstacles in my relationship with you. And so we asked God, would you search me? And God, not only would you search me, but would you give me the courage the boldness to take care of those things, to the boldness to confess my sin, the boldness to engage in those things that you have been asking me to engage into. God, would you make me bold in my relationship with you? Would you make me bold in my seeking out of opportunities to tell others about the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus? And something in us changes Something in us changes when we stop asking God, do something for me. And we begin saying, God, do something in me. God, God, would you do something in me? God, would you make it where I stop looking outward for the things that you're going to do? For me? Would you make it where I, I, I stop giving myself all of these things where I am selfishly looking for God? What are you going to do for me? And say, God, what would you do in me? God, how would you change me? God, how would you make me uh, obedient to your call? God, would you do it in me? God, would you make me bold? God, would you help me not to shrink back? And so there might be a little bit of a pushback where we'd say, you know what, 
all this idea is great, you know, to, to have God search my heart and, to, and for me to be bold in my relationship with him. But I really think it would be much, much better. My life would go a whole lot more according to plan if God would just tell me what to do, right? If God would just spell it out every single day, if he would say, you know what, I'm going to get a daily digest email and it's going to come in, it's going to wake, it's going to come in just a few minutes before I wake up and then I'll open it up. And you know, of course, step one is wake up. Then step two is read this email. And then it just shows me what I'm supposed to do every minute, every moment of the day. That'd be so much easier, right? Would it? I don't, I'm not so sure that would be easy. Because I know me, and I know most men, don't tell me what to do, <laughs> right? So maybe that's not going to work. Maybe this idea that if God would just tell me explicitly what I'm supposed to do, I would go do it because I know me well enough, and I'm pretty sure you know you well enough to know that if somebody tells you exactly what to do, even if it's spelled out step by step, you're going to skip one right? You're going to ignore one or you're going to get something backwards. Today we're going to be uh, talking about an idea that, that God would speak to us. And we're going to look first at the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel is about, as you would guess, a, a guy named Samuel. Now, Samuel, if you're unfamiliar, here's how his story starts. Now, there's this, this priest named Eli, and Eli was ministering and, and taking care of the temple. But there's also this young woman named Hannah. Now, Hannah was married, um, and she was a second wife, and her, she was unable to have children. And Hannah, in, in all of this, felt inferior to the other wife. And one day, she goes into the temple and she is grieved beyond grief because all she wanted to do was to bear a son. And she came in and she was sobbing, not like, you know, like little bitty tears. I'm talking about dry heave sobbing, right? The one where you're just shaking and sometimes words aren't coming out. Enough so that the priest Eli accused her of being drunk. Woman, you need to clean yourself up. <laughs> Whatever's going on, you just clean yourself up. But she said, I am not drunk. Instead, I am grieved to my core that I have something that I want so deeply, and I don't have it. And Eli, seeing that she was earnest, said, God will grant whatever it is that you're asking. And in that moment, she, she felt relief, and in time, she uh, became pregnant and bore a son, and she dedicated this son to service in the temple under Eli. So she kept him with her. This is Samuel, until he was able to be taken care of by Eli in the temple. And when she then takes him to the temple, Eli takes him and starts teaching him all of these things. Now, the priest Eli, he, he's a pretty interesting fellow because he'd been in the temple for quite some time, and he had sons. But his sons and he had grown very lazy in their, in their adherence to God's word, to God's laws. And in fact, his, his sons were pretty corrupt. 
Eli, in his disobedience and his laziness, decided not to challenge his son on the things that were, they were doing wrong. In fact, they were taking like custom orders, like, you know, hey, listen, when you bring in your sacrifice, will you save me a shank? Because I, I really want a shank that I can roast up and, you know, maybe get some, uh, bring in some yams or something, you know? And so these guys started bringing in these custom orders. And beyond that, they were doing some pretty unscrupulous things with the money and with the people that were coming to worship at the temple. So for Eli to just sit back and not handle his sons meant that Eli was being disobedient to the Lord. His sons were disobedient. In fact, this was a pretty dark time for God's people. So jumping in in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, this is Samuel, and, and here he is. He's, he's ministering. He's grown up. He's probably about 12 years old by now. So think about a fifth grader. And so this, this young man is, is there ministering with Eli. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare these days. There was no frequent vision. There's no frequent vision. And so in, in all of this, the, the silence of God was deafening. In fact, if people heard from the Lord, they didn't know exactly what to do with it. But there's this, this thing that happens with Samuel. Uh, uh, in laying down, he hears this voice calling. It says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel gets up and runs into Eli's room and says, yes, yes, here I am. What is it that you need? And Eli's like, go back to bed, boy. I didn't call you. And he does this three times. He hears Samuel Samuel, he runs into Eli. By the third time, Eli realizes what's going on. Now, think about this. It took three times for the priest to realize that God was speaking to this young man. Eli had grown very disobedient and disconnected to God. So Eli finally understands what's going on. And he says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go back, lay down in your bed, and when you hear the Lord call out, Samuel, Samuel, I want you to respond. So skipping down to verse 10. And the Lord came and stood, calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And God spoke to Samuel, and God revealed something to Samuel that he really did not want anyone to hear, because here's what happened. God spoke to Samuel. He said, listen, what's going on with Eli and his sons should not happen. In fact, their reckoning is coming very soon. There's punishment for them, and they won't fare well at all. And so when he hears this from the Lord, he's very upset about it, and he doesn't want to say anything to Eli. But of course, Eli calls him in and says, hey boy, come here. What, what happened? What did God say to you? And trembling and fearful, Samuel lets him know that his time had come and the wrath of God would be spilled out. And it marked a change. It marked a change from, from Eli being in charge of the temple and then passing over to Samuel. And so from this, in this little verse here, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10, when Samuel says, speak, for your servant hears, it helps us to maybe ask this question as we're asking God, would you search me? God, would you make me bold? 
God, will you speak to me? God, will you speak to me? God, will you make it so that I can hear the things that are most important to you? God, will you speak? Now, you may have asked for this very thing before. You may have asked God, God, will you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Just say it audibly. And so I know. And you pleaded with God and you felt that all you received was silence. We said, God, will you speak to me? Just tell me. We've asked it. But what if? What if you have some questions about what it is? What if God actually does speak? What if he spoke and it was like the mighty rushing winds? (laughs) I'm pretty sure that I'd need a change of clothes. But what if God does speak to you? There's some questions that come up in me, like would I actually do what he said? Would I be surprised at the things that he told me to do? Would I be able to stand it? Would I be able to physically withstand God speaking and telling me what to do? Beyond that, I'm asking the question like, what what does God sound like? Is it like Morgan Freeman? Is it like a lion's roar? Is it a gentle whisper? What does he sound like? And beyond that, can I absolutely be sure that I hear? Is there, is there some sort of checklist? Is there something that I can do? Okay, all right, I'm ready to hear from God, so I got my notebook out and I have my checklist and I'm ready to go. Okay, notebook, check, pen, yep, check. Door closed, yep, check. Quiet. Yeah, check. Is there a proper technique? Is it like you sit in a chair with both feet flat on the ground, shoulders back, head bowed at 35 degrees, both eyes closed? Is there a proper technique? So can I be absolutely sure that I hear? But wait, 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 if I do hear something, how do I know? How do I know that it's his voice not Satan's and not mine. Oh, man, there's a lot at stake in this. And I don't want to follow the wrong instructions. And then when I hear something, how do I know that I'm not just hearing what I want to hear? Am I just hearing what I want to hear? But I have some good news. In those moments that we're trying to discern that as Christians, we're able to discern Jesus' voice. In fact, he says in John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus said that we can hear his voice and that we can follow him. In fact, if we go through a difficulty or we go through a difficult situation, a dilemma, here's what we find. Oftentimes, we already know what God is saying. Usually, 
If you've been in church long enough, you've been reading your Bible long enough, you've been praying long enough, you know what God will tell you. We usually know what answers align with Scripture and which ones don't and which ones highlight the character of God. But often, we already know what he's saying, but we just want it confirmed again. Oftentimes, we know what the next right thing is. Often, we know what God is telling us to do. The problem is the, the answer, it just makes us very uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable, and it may cause us to take action. We may actually have to do something. We may have to change, or this is probably likely, we don't like what we've heard, and we want a different interpretation. God, I know, I know, God, that you want me to change those parts of my life, but could you give me a bye today? Because I really need you to change this particular thing. God, God, could you just do something that doesn't require me to grow, something that doesn't require me to mature, something that doesn't require me to change the way I go about my daily life? God, could you give me something that doesn't, means that I don't have to change direction? God, could you just make it where I don't have to say I'm sorry? Ask for forgiveness. God, if you could just kind of gloss the whole thing over. You know, like in, the, in those movies, like uh, Men in Black, right? Where they, where they had that little doohickey thing. And everybody forgets what happened. And then you can tell them whatever story you want. God, could you give me one of those or could you make that happen? God, can you just kind of redo this whole thing? And we're going through hard stuff. And when we're in the midst of this and we do feel like we hear what God is telling us, how can we really know that it's God, not Satan? So I have six things. I have six little things that will help you know whether you're being deceived or directed. I'm either hearing something from God or it's something that is not of God. When we're hearing answers in our prayers, when we're hearing, feeling a direction, if we can kind of line it up and filter through these six things, I think we're going to be going in the right direction. The first one is this, is it true? It's pretty simple. Is what I'm hearing true? Because Satan is the father of lies. Satan lies, Jesus doesn't. Is the answer that you're receiving causing you to question what you find in the pages of God's word? Because Satan's biggest lie is that sin is not destructive. Satan's biggest lie is that one more just won't hurt. Satan's biggest lie is that we can ignore the parts of the scripture that we don't personally like. The moment that we get tempted to go against our better judgment, ask the question, is it true? Psalm 119, 105 says, 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word helps us to see those places where we may stumble. And it lights the path in the direction, the way forward. But Satan manipulates. He manipulates our emotions. And he begins to cloud our judgment and our testing of the truth. So we need to test what we hear against the Bible. Second thing, so not only is it true, is it a shortcut? God will not have you stop short. He will not have you stop short of following through in obedience to him. If you feel that there's some sort of a shortcut in your depth of relationship with God, if you think there's a a shortcut in obedience, it would be only in partial obedience. Satan will try and convince you, though, that his way is better than God's way. His way is better than any other way. So am I tempted to take a shortcut? Am I tempted to only halfway follow what God has to say? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is to his folly and shame. If I declare God's will before I have finished hearing God's will, if I declare that I know what God wants me to do before God has finished giving me the instruction, it is to my folly. Just to my shame. We don't have to rush in hearing the things that God is telling us. We need to soak in God's instruction. So is it true? Am I trying to take a shortcut? Or am I trying to justify sin? Pay attention to what happens after you sin. Pay attention to what happens in your mind after you knowingly Sin. Satan will encourage you to justify it and encourage you to say any person in your situation would have done the same thing. It really wasn't that bad. Listen, you've seen so-and-so and what they do on the weekend, right? Well, you're definitely not as bad as so-and-so If you ever find yourself in a situation when you're trying to hear something from God and you're trying to justify something that goes against God's word, you're not hearing from God. Even if everyone else says that it's justified. Because Jesus, Jesus always leads us to repentance. God identifies sin as sin. Now, if we're unsure of what sin is, it's basically anything that is not obedience to God. Can we get a little bit easier on the definition of sin, right? Can it just be when you're not a good person? No, sin is when anything that is not obedience to God. Listen, as long as I don't lie, cheat on my taxes, cheat on my spouse, if I drive within five miles of the speed limit, 
can't we just call that okay? Anything less than obedience to God is sin. And when we understand that, and we understand that Jesus always leads us to repentance, because here, here's the truth in it. You and I, we may get some things right, but we won't get everything right. We may obey some things perfectly, but we won't obey everything perfectly. That's why God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins as God was withholding his wrath. And Jesus became the once for all sacrifice for our sins. But living in that realm of knowing that Jesus is our savior, that Jesus is the one who saved us from our sins, we're living in grace, Jesus will always lead us to repentance. Jesus will always lead us to obedience to our Heavenly Father. So is it true? Am I trying to take a shortcut? Am I trying to excuse sin? Does it divide? When you think about doing what it is that you believe God is telling you, is it something that's divisive? Is it something that serves you, but doesn't serve anyone else? Does it bring glory and honor to our Heavenly Father, or does it make us have to divide our allegiance between ourselves and God? Think about it. When it comes to an impulse, do you follow your own sinful desire? Do you follow and seek your own comfort? Or do you look to satisfy the will of God? Is your response in a time where something is challenging? Because it takes away your comfort. It takes away what you thought. Are you willing to follow and seek unity in Christ? Is it true? Am I taking a shortcut? Am I trying to justify sin? Does it divide? Is it full of pride? Satan will tempt you to do and to say things that make you look good. Satan will prompt you to have these feelings and thoughts that if only I could be famous, if I could make myself look good, if I could do all the things that I want, if I could just feel good, if I could have the comforts, if it's all about me, it can never be anything about him. Is it full of pride? And this is at the expense of humility. Because here's what the role of the Holy Spirit is in our life. The Holy Spirit leads us to bring glory to God. Pride will keep you from reconciliation. Pride will keep you from repentance. Pride will keep you on the justification, the shortcut, the half-truth. Pride will defend, it will deflect, it will blame others. It will come to a quick defense of your actions. 
but God leads towards humility and restoration. Is it true? Am I taking a shortcut? Am I trying to justify sin? Is it divisive? Am I being prideful? And last, will it compromise my integrity? I want you to kind of lean in on this one because I think this is pretty important. God will never use, ask you to use questionable methods to do his will. God will never cause you to look as though you lack integrity to do his will. Satan will, though. Satan tempted Jesus. Remember in, in, in the 40 days in the desert, Satan came and he tempted Jesus with not sinful things, with good things. He wanted Jesus to take good things through bad methods. God will never lead you to a place where you compromise your integrity. God will lead you in ways that reflect his love and his character. God will lead this church to be one that is united in love and good deeds. God leads us and directs us to be his love in this world, to show his love in this world, and to show us in the world that he desires to seek and to save those who are lost. So how can I really know it's God and not me? How can I know that if what I'm trying to do is just me trying to get what I want? How do I know if what I hear is just me struggling with my own desire? How do I know that the thing I'm seeking is not just opportunistic for me and that it's seeking God's purpose? How do I know if it's a good thing or a God thing? And I think we have difficulty distinguishing the difference because there are many things we can do in life that are good. We can be kind, we can be caring, we can do all manner of things, but how do we know that the things that we are trying to accomplish in life are not just good things, but they're God things? I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I just think the difference is in the way that we understand between our ways and God's ways. So how do I know if it's, a good, if it's not just a good thing, but it's a God thing? So a few questions to help us discern that. First question, will my decision honor God? Will it cause me to compromise God's standard to get what I want? Will it cause me to distort or inflate the truth? Will my decision honor God? Because God will not bring us to bring him glory through questionable means. We need to be honest and act with integrity. Don't steal. Keep your integrity. Keep your commitments. Maintain a purity in your relationships. Question two, am I looking for an excuse to quit? 
you know, one day I thought that God told me that I should go and do this, this big grand scheme and things for him and that it was a really hard road. But you know what? I think God is just calling me off to something easier now. Are you looking for an excuse to quit? Don't blame God for it. Because people are notir- notorious for not finishing what they start. What God begins, he will see through to the end. Be careful and ensure that you're not trying to renege on an obligation that you made to God just because it was harder than you thought. Need an example of maybe something that we renege on that when we get into it, it's harder than we thought? You ready? Marriage. Being a church member. Being a parent. But we need to, in these moments, discern God's will before we begin. Before I step into a lifelong commitment, I need to discern God's will before I begin. Ask God before I start. Jesus said it this way, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Do you count the cost in the decisions that you make or do you just go do them? If you just go off and do them, one of two things is true. You didn't hear from God to begin with or you're not hearing from him now. Because God never stops short. God never stops short in our marriages He never stops short in our commitments that we make to others. Third question, what does the Bible say? The Bible kind of takes the guesswork out of decision-making. This is why it's so important for us to read it. Now, here's, here's one thing that we do know, that the Bible doesn't talk about everything that we experience in life, right? But if we read and ingest the Bible, we will have at our disposal the very things, the very thoughts, the very character, the very integrity that allows us to make a wise choice. Because when we read it, it permeates not just our minds, but it trickles down into our soul. When we read it and we take it and we ingest it and we memorize it, we speak it, we apply it, we find ourselves becoming more in tune with the heart of God. That's why it's important to spend time reading God's word. That's why it's important to memorize it. Because here's what happens. If I read something, I can forget it, right? If I read something enough, I can remember it. But if I read something often enough, it filters through the decisions I make and the thoughts that I have. Have you ever thought that you're a race car driver? No? Doggone it. Let me back up. You watched a racing movie. Have you ever thought you're a race car driver? Yeah. Okay, thank you. You watched a karate movie. You ever thought you knew karate? 
Okay. How come it's just guys? What's going on here? <laughs> Ever watch a baking show and thought you could bake? <laughs> what we ingest filters through our minds. What we ingest comes out in what we speak. So are you memorizing God's word? We want to gain wisdom. So a few examples of this. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Learn from others, learn from God's word, and don't think that you know it all. And if you do that, you will become wise. Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the, in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. If I live with humility, it keeps me from being humiliated. Proverbs 25, 16. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit. Don't binge on a good thing. Practice self-control. Just because I have a whole cake doesn't mean it's just one piece. Melanie taught me that. Just because there's a whole series that was dropped on Netflix doesn't mean I watch it all today. If we learn how to take what we need will learn how to savor life, savor food, savor our relationships and our experiences. So if it's just me, in a recap, God will lead me to honor him and to see it through because God is true to his word. And here we are, we're, we think we're on a, on a good track, we're on the right track, and, and, and we're hearing from God, or we think we are, and, and we, we actually want to do what God is telling us to do, and I, and I want to do what I feel God is, is, is just really impressing on me. But hold on, if I want to do what's gonna, needs to be done, then it can't be God, right? Because I, I've been told that if, 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 if I want to do it, that it's probably not God, but if I don't want to do it, it's probably God, right? Not, you know, never pray to not become a missionary in a foreign country, right? Because that's exactly what's God to do. You ever heard that? You ever heard something about don't say, don't, don't pray for patience because God's going to give you an opportunity to use it, Right? If we want what God is showing us, it just means that our hearts are moving in the direction that he's pulling us. So question four, am I being selfish or selfless? Somewhere along the way, we have to figure out that this lie that we've bought, that if it makes us happy, it's not from God. 
But if we also take the lie that God wants our happiness more than he wants our holiness, we're mistaken. Because God wants our whole self. God wants every bit of you and me. There's no room in following God for us to be selfish. Because following God, truly, what it does is it brings you joy. The more you follow, the more your heart becomes like Christ, the more you will experience the joy, the life that Jesus came to bring. In fact, Jesus said that he came to bring us life and life more abundantly, that Jesus came to give us the things that bring us joy. Jesus wants you to live a life with joy. Notice I didn't say with a full bank account or with a a car or with a huge house or a swimming pool or whatever it is that you think will bring you joy. Jesus wants to bring you a life that is full, a life that has joy. In fact, he says in John chapter 15, verse 7 and 11, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. If you learn to abide in our Heavenly Father, then the joy that comes will be full. The Christian life, the Christian life is not supposed to be without laughter. It's not supposed to be without joy. We're not created to be somber and devoid of smiles. If anyone has a reason to celebrate in life, it's a Christian. Nothing can bring more joy than hearing from God. So I pray that you do. So don't automatically assume that it's a good thing or something that you enjoy, that it's not God telling you. When we follow God and we follow what he says, when we hear what he says and we follow what he says, then we will see life change in front of us and our desires will pale in comparison. There's a a missionary, Jim Elliott. Here's what he said. In my own experience, I've found that the most extravagant dreams of boyhood have not surpassed the great experience of being in the will of God. And I believe nothing could be better. In my own experience, my greatest desires and dreams when I was a child are nothing compared to being in the will of God. So we ask God, would you search me? Would you make me bold and speak to me? I'm listening. Because God is always speaking. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his living word. God is reliable. He gives us direction. He gives us correction. God speaks encouragement. He speaks it through people, through the message that you hear at times, through song, through a close friend through your spouse, through your circumstances. God is always speaking. So can we learn to say this, speak, Lord. I'm listening. 
decide whether you'll focus on the the messages that are sent by the world, the noise that kind of clouds up our thoughts, or if you'll listen intently to the spoken word of God. So God, would you search me? Would you make me bold? Would you speak to me? I'm listening. So as we wrap up today, there's two things. There's two things that I want to make sure that, that we know for sure. The first is this, in our personal prayer, that we would engage in our personal prayer, that we would seek the Lord, that we would ask God, would you search me? Would you lay me bare? Would you show me the things in me that are not in obedience to you? God, would you help me to engage with you? God, would you make me bold? God, would you make me follow through? God, would you speak to me? For some of you can't hear what God is telling you because the only thing you're hearing him tell you right now is that you don't belong to me. And I don't want you to leave today without making a commitment for Christ. For the church, for the corporate body of Christ, I believe that God is collecting us together in love and in unity because he has a great purpose for this community. He wants us to step out in faith and to do some amazing things. And I feel one thing that I've been praying into for the past, gosh, I want to say more than a year, is God, when is it the right time for us to have an additional service? to add one more service and one more opportunity to reach this community. One more opportunity for families to invite others to have space. Now, if this were a concert venue with every seat filled, we'd be okay. But apparently at church, we like our space. So I call this a full room, don't you? And God has been so gracious and so loving and so kind that we have connected with so many people. But I believe that God is saying that we need to make room for more. So would you join with me in that prayer? Would you specifically ask God to work in your personal life that you would engage with him? God, would you speak to me? Would you make me bold? God, would you speak because I will listen And as a a corporate body, would we seek to be the kind of people that open up and invite in because there's always room for more at the foot of the cross? Is that true? That's true. Amen. Would you pray with me?